Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Danielle Nicholson, and this morning I'm reading from 1 Timothy, verses 1 through 17. This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God our Savior, and Christ Jesus who gives us hope. I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations, which don't help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. They have turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they are talking about, even though they speak so confidently. We know that the law is good when used correctly, for the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with a faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will, recognize, will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Amen. This is the word of God. Praise the Lord. I'm glad that... Uh... Danielle was actually reading the scripture today because uh, if you guys don't know yet, if you go to our website, you'll see that she's actually chairman of our pastoral search team. Um, and Gabby Everett is also co-chair, and the reason I share this is, yes, you should also, um, and the reason why is because, you know, as she's reading, she reminded me that um, God is at work, and uh, also it's a, it's a call for us to pray for them especially our, our team in this season of searching as they faithfully serve. They're meeting today. In fact, let's continue to pray for them as we remember their work uh, for the church this morning. Amen? Good morning, Christ Central Church. My name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad you could join us this morning as we begin our new sermon series in First and Second Timothy. Um, and there are uh, First and Second Timothy is one of the more challenging books, I believe, but it is a book that we must cover as a church of Christ 
Uh, there are many ways to preach a sermon, really, in these days. Some of us really love going verse by verse, and we parse out every detail of the verse, right? Some of us are used to that. Or at times, you are used to uh, hearing a sermon that covers broad topics, um, that's addressed at a time. But what we believe at Christ Central is that we preach through the entire book at a time, not skipping, skipping through uh, easier parts, uh, but faithfully preaching a book of the Bible at a time. That's what we believe here. Uh, but at the same time, I'm also going to preach large chunks at a time. With the, the letters like this, we could do like a verses at a time, but I want you to know that uh, it's important to do that, but more importantly, I want you to have more of the Bible. That's why we're going to try to cover bigger chunks of the book at a time. And I also I think it is very important uh, to cover the broader verses at a time because we have to put these verses in context, what this text is talking about, especially what the Apostle Paul is writing to in context because this letter was actually meant to be read as a whole anyhow. And oftentimes these verses that we'll cover in 1 Timothy are often taken out of context only highlighted in certain parts. So I think it is important for us to place these verses in its history and the context at the same time. We're titling this sermon series called For the Church. Why? Because First and Second Timothy just do just that. A letter for the church from a church planter. It is written by Apostle Paul to his beloved disciple and a younger protege, Pastor Timothy, who is serving in church at Ephesus. And the purpose of the letter is how can church live out the gospel in a tangible way to the watching world? And I believe this is the call for us for the season of Christ Central, for a letter for us as well as we look to the future, as we look to what does it mean for us to be a church in this city. You don't have to be the expert or church dynamics to know that uh, or to read about the surveys done by Pew Research or Gallup Post or whatever it may be, the church has been experiencing challenges in pandemic. It is shown that about 10 to 15% of the previous church population have stopped coming to church, more so in a millennial population. We see the challenges. We sense the urgency. And the question for us is, what is God calling us, God's people, back to in this season of church? What is the purpose of God's church for Christ-centered church? I'm not just talking about me as a pastor or the leaders that we elected last week, but all of us, like God's called out once. What is God's call for us to live out the gospel today? What are we called to do? How are we, how are we called to live out and show the world what does it mean for us to preach the gospel? And Paul tells us in this text, it is simply living out your life in love. Loving God and loving others is at the heart of these letters, and we find that in the opening verses of this letter. You see, Paul's heart for Timothy, his beloved disciple, is to persevere in life of ministry. Persevere in this church that's facing a monumental task. What we find here in 1 Timothy is that Timothy is in a turmoil, a church that was planted, and after five years of faithful and fruitful ministry of Paul, we see the church in Ephesus is going through hard time. In fact, it is something that Paul warns them about in Acts 20 before he leaves. He tells the church, so guard yourself and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. 
I know that the false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out! Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, my many tears for you. And this threat comes to bear. And we see that Paul is sent by, uh, Timothy is sent by Paul to care for the flock. And Paul says, I want to come to you, but until then, do these things, encouraging Timothy, directing Timothy, ultimately entrusting Timothy of the care of the task of shepherding and loving this church well. And in this opening verses, what we find is not only the purpose for this particular church in Ephesus, but I believe it is a calling for us as well, a definition as well as an answer to what is the church? What are we called to be? What are we called to stand for, especially in this season? Especially as you look to post-pandemic, especially as you look to a new pastor that is to come, what does it mean for you and I to stand together as a church? What is the church of Christ all about? And what we find is the church of Christ is saved by grace and also saved for grace. Church of Christ is saved by grace and also saved for grace. A well-known tale of evangelism goes something like this. A person was out and about one day at a local bar upon an encounter with an old friend who had lost touch with him a while ago, began to talk about life. And he soon finds this long-lost friend is going through a turmoil. He's broken and was wondering what is life all about. And his friend started talking to him about where can I find hope? So he begins to talk about church and God. At one point, a church-going friend started to encourage the other to come to church as he was struggling with life and the questions about purpose. But again, this lost friend said, well, I will go to church, but there are just way too many hypocrites. To this, a church-going friend replied, nah, don't worry about that. Since you know that already, adding one more wouldn't hurt. (laughs) See you Sunday, my friend. As silly as this story may sound, the story reveals to us, yes, there are problems in the church, not to mention that you and I are also that problem. One of the most common misconceptions that we have of the early church, or early Christian church, is that there were a pure church in the first century. Right? We often say, that we got to be like the first century church. We want to go back to that. Yes, they were great. They were marked by the apostles' teaching. They were given the fire of the Spirit gift of the tongue, powerful preachers, everyone coming and sharing. Yes, absolutely great. We ought to go back to that at times. But with that also came divisions, infights, sins that crept in. Why do you think there are so many letters Paul writes addressing all these kind of issues? Paul doesn't write to say, you're great. Paul says, well, 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 you lost your way. Here is what the gospel says. And First Timothy is also talking about the lost way of the church, in particular about false teaching from within. Verse 3 says, When I left for Macedonia, I urge you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myth and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction is all believers 
will be filled with love that comes from pure heart, clear conscience, genuine faith, but some people have missed the whole point. They have turned away from these things and spent their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. You see, Paul recognizes that what he warned of them has coming into fruition, that there are now false teaching that's rocking the church. And on a brief glance, when you hear false teaching, church, we often think teaching is out there, right? False teaching is out there. We've got to guard it. The idolatry, especially Ephesus, one of the most well-known port cities where many cultures, ideas, world collided. Among them, the predominant Greek culture at the time and influence of Roman Empire, one that immediately goes to paganism and the myth of Greek gods and thinking, whoa, it's out there, false teaching out there, we've got to guard the church against it. But that's not the false teaching Paul is talking about in verse 4, isn't it? Verse 4, we see that this endless discussion and myth about spiritual pedigrees were seen as another translation, spiritual genealogies. So this false teaching here is a fanciful tales, as they talk about, of the Jewish mystics rabbis would have told, amplifying the blessing out the, the clear genealogies of Old Testament with fictional characters and relationships. In fact, this teaching was adding to what the Bible was all about and the tales that were added to fill the gaps, as they would say, and you drew a quite a following. It drew a lot of people because it's a drama. It's a story, right? So the false teaching here would draw people. For example, one of the more popular myths were from the Book of Jubilee, as they say, which is a fanciful rewrite of Old Testament history from creation to Sinai. One of the tales is about sons of Adam and Eve, not only Cain, Abel, and Seth, but it says that Cain remarried or married his sister Awan, and Enoch is their child, fanciful addition to the already existing Bible. It also mentions Seth marrying Azura and talking about all these different stories that happened as a result. You see, the danger and the scary thing is that this type of teaching attaches itself to the Scripture. They may not outright reject the Scripture's teaching, per se, but as to it. And for the New Testament community, their Bible is the Old Testament. So this teaching there was, was adding allegorical and sensational elements to what was already very clear genealogy and stories of Bible. It's juicy, right? It's drama. People loved it. But you know what the worst part of it all this was? Notice the source of the teaching. It is not out in the marketplace. It's not at the movie theaters. It's not at the public squares. It's not our curriculum. It's not out there. Rather, it is from within, within the body. Verse 7 says, They, the false teachers, want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses. There were teachers within the church at Ephesus. One theologian marks and makes a claim that there were elders who aspired to be rabbis, teachers. In speaking of false teachers, theologian Tim Chalice writes, Satan's greatest ambassadors are not pimps, politicians, or power brokers, but pastors, and I may add elders. His priests do not peddle a different religion, but a delayed perversion of the true one. Church, are you listening now? Are you checking me? Your pastor with the Bible? Do you bring your Bible and see if I'm preaching from the Bible or speaking from my heart, Right? Or speaking out of what I think. Because this false teaching still happens today, you know? 
often from within the church. While we often are so concerned about the teaching we find on TV shows, movies, music, books, and say, don't watch those children. You know, the teaching within the walls of the church, the embellishment of the stories. We don't have to read Da Vinci Code outside to know the false teaching is happening within the church. Let me just mention a couple of prosperity gospel, right? They promote God is God of good gifts. Amen. That's awesome. But adding, he will only give it to you if you give. He only gives you good things. Universalist gospel that says God is God of love, absolutely true. But by adding, therefore, all roads lead to God, not just Christ. That's false teaching. How about Christian nationalism? God loves America. Absolutely, I believe that. But God loves other nations too. God isn't Christian. Uh, God, go isn't Christian nation. Where do you find that in the scripture? It is God's kingdom. Do you not read Jonah? We're not the Israelites. And you know what I absolutely detest about Christian nationalism? Not of its uh, prideful assertion or self-centeredness of America or false nationalistic pride that masks itself in false ideology. Rather, the reason why I absolutely detest it is because I think that theology puts God in a box. Box of American flag. As if God cannot save his people apart from America. As if God's great commandment is limited to our nation. As if doing Christian things will save our children and our future. False teaching, beware. Brought of Christ, beware of false teachers, Paul tells us. The question is then, how can we determine what is true teaching that should define the church? Paul gives us that in verse 5. Teaching that results in save by grace. Verse 5 says, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers will be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. Rather than leading to endless chatters and debates and fights, the teaching the church that results in those are filled with love of God. Saved by grace theology results in fruitfulness of love. Again, saved by grace Theology results in fruitfulness of love. And Paul goes on to further explain how this gospel grace works. Verse 8, we know that the law is good when used correctly. But the law was not intended for those who do what is right. It is for those who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred, defile what is holy, who kill their fathers or mothers or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious goodness entrusted to me by a blessed God. Church, <clears throat> we talked about this, right? Notice what this is describing in its context. Again, that's very important because these verses are often taken out of context to make people's points. For example, certain parts in verse 10 is highlighted as a warning against particular sin. And church has done that often, harmfully, namely homosexuality. But do you see what Paul is warning the people here? False teaching. Not against particular sin or how dangerous it is. Rather, he tells those struggling with sin that they need grace. The focus is not on sin, but focus is in the need for grace. But how often we often made this about one particular sin, highlighting it. How often have we church have endless debates 
and not actually cared and loved and wrestled in how God calls those who are hurting to come to him, to find God's mercy and grace. All the while, church spends so little time addressing sexual immorality, abuse, misogyny that is rampant in the leadership of the church today. How about racism, elder abuse, mistreating and not loving one another is highlighted, accentuated in these verses. Rather than highlighting the heart of God's invitation for repentance and restoration, sometimes, quite often, church makes it a difficult place for all of us, all who are struggling to come to him as he has beckoned us to do so. I believe, church, this is a call for us to repent. This is a call for the church to not only learn at acing, identifying sins, arguing over what is sin and what is not, but it's called for us to repent and ace God's grace. Not to focus to do better in highlighting sin, but highlight and celebrate grace of God found in sin. Furthermore, evident in this list of sins, it actually reflects the violation of the Ten Commandments, mainly 6 through 10 that emphasizes loving our neighbor in relationship to one another. In the culture of the time of 1 Timothy as well as today, when the focus is, how am I loved? My rights, me, me, me. God flips self-centeredness upside down and says, God's law, God's ways, and thus God's heart is love for us so we can now be transformed, redeemed by that love, and you can now in turn love others. And God's word of God will do that for us. So church, here is the most important function of this law of God for the church. What this whole ordeal reveals to us, what this whole list reveals to us, what it reveals to us is our need due to sin, all of our need for God's grace. Savior Christ. So these verses highlight what the gospel, the good news, the church of Jesus Christ that is filled with those who are saved by grace must stand by. Love of God for his people and love of God that saves and restores sinners so they could come and find healing at the foot of the cross. And if we're truly going to be a church that is marked by gospel of Jesus Christ, saved by grace, then we are warned to fight against internal babbles that lead to nowhere. Rather, we ought to be the ones who demonstrate the love of Christ to the watching world, to point the world to Christ who invites all who are hurting, who are weary, who are rejected by the world, so that those who are in need of grace could come. So the church becomes the most welcoming place. Those who are wrestling in sin can find hope in Christ. As my pastor friend once said, if the church of Christ is filled with Christians, we got a big problem at hand. If the church is filled with Christians, we got a big problem at hand. Christ Central Church, are we marked by this love? Are we the ones that proclaim Christ alone is God that is marked by those who are saved by God's grace? I believe when we, the church, is marked by what Paul says in verse 5, all believers will be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. God will do the work of redemption. God will do the work of restoration. God will do the heart transformation. God will do the impossible 
of saving a soul out of depths of sin. Amen? Amen. After all, who are we? Saved by grace. But there is also in church, saved for grace. Saved for grace. It was my first mission trip. One of the tasks, oftentimes when you go on a mission trip, is to write your own testimonies. Right? And we all gather around in a circle, start wrecking our brain, thinking like, let me think about a great story. Right? And we check each other's stories and say, hey, let me t- tell me about your story. And we're thinking, wow, that's powerful, bro. That's awesome. Let me come up with more amazing conversion stories right? that will wow people. And we had one person that said, I was a drug addict, hugging the toilet one time, puking, and God met me. We're like, wow, you got to just always talk about your testimony because it's powerful. And some of us were like, I have nothing like that. We're all lamenting about the stories that we do not have. And a missionary came by and asked, what stories do you have? And we started telling him and lamenting that we don't have a lot. To this, he replied, as a follower of Christ, your life should be a testimony. Right? One of those mic drop moments, right? He was like, do you have testimony? Your life should be a testimony. Boom. And he walks out. Right? Well, here is Paul's mic drop moment. After this great exposition of warning against false teaching and this great hope this law of God provides for the sins of the world, here is Paul's mic drop moments, his testimony. Basically, Paul says, well, 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 let me tell you, I experienced that grace. The reason why I'm telling you to do all these things is because I myself have experienced this grace and I cannot help but to share this with you. He was lost and not found. He was the one who found this precious pearl. He's like the woman at the well who ran to tell others. He was broken, but God healed him. The gospel is testimonial. We are saved by grace so we can show others we are saved for their grace. We see this immediately in verse 12 and on. Paul goes on to tell his story. And if you read through the life of Paul, all the missionary journeys, he does this, right? He's like, let me tell you about the gospel. Whoa, 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 whoa. But you know what happened to me? God is great. He saved me. Let me tell you about the gospel. Well, God is great. He cannot help but to continue to testify to how grace of the Lord came, overcame his sin. That's why he says in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. We may think, yeah, you're an apostle, right? But no, he's not talking about that. He's saying he considered me trustworthy. He's almost saying like, can you believe that? Look at me, guys. He appointed me to serve him. Can you believe that? Let me tell you this. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence, I persecuted his people like you all, right? But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. He's not saying um, because I didn't know he was going easy on me. He was basically saying, I didn't know him. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus our Lord. This is trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Don't stop there. And I am the worst of them all. I am. But God had mercy on me so that Jesus Christ could use me as a prime example for his great patience with even the worst sinners, then others will realize that they, they, they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. What a testimony. What a testimony. He's saying, you see all those sins I listed just now? Well, I'm worst of them all, right? 
You're busy highlighting one or the other. Well, well I qualify to, as the worst. I don't think he's just saying giving his lip service. Because you know, throughout the other scriptures, as I say, as he goes through the mission journeys and all that stuff, especially at the end of his life, as he's thinking he may die in the Philippian jail, uh, in the letter of Philippians, he says this, I once thought these things were valuable, all his credentials and all this stuff. But now I consider them worthless because what Christ has done, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting all as garbage, so I could gain Christ. You see, what Paul is saying, hey, look at me as an example. We often think, when Paul says, look at me as an example, we're thinking, yeah, the godly. Imagine if you're with someone like that. Whatever he says becomes a scripture, right? Write that down, right? But that's not the example he's talking about. He's saying, look at me as an example of the one saved by grace. Prime example of the Gentiles, uh, for the Gentiles, the ones who is worse than the false teachers, he's saying. I was worse than all those brutal vipers, worse than the Christian nationalists, worse than the prosperity gospel preachers, worse than the most racist, most sexually immoral, all they combined. And he says, look at God. He saved me. He loved me. Before I did anything else, glory to God. And in it, what Paul shows us is that not only does this fact lead to the definition of the church being that we're saved by grace, but we're also saved for grace. So as a church of Christ can testify together as people, saved by this grace means now we can demonstrate this grace to the watching world. We could preach Christ crucified. He can overcome. He is enough. Those who are saved by grace can be saved for the grace of the Lord to offer grace of God to others who desperately need it. That's what Christians are supposed to be all about. That's what Church of Christ is to be all about. Church, therefore, the mission and the vision of any church is the same as what Paul writes in the opening verses of this letter. He says, this is the letter from Paul, apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Savior, Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. To give hope, to give grace, mercy, peace to the watching world to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is what Jesus calls us to be all about. It is Christ who gives grace to all who are lost without him. If the mission of the church is not outwardly focused in loving our neighbors, loving the city, the world God placed us in, if we're not safe for grace, then we're missing the point of why we gather on Sundays. That is God's call for the mission of the church, to be God's ambassadors, representatives, to preach the good news to the poor, to the marginalized, to the downtrodden, rather than pushing those who do not agree with us out, who do not look like us out, but rather than inviting them to the cross, pointing them towards the cross, and first and foremost, is because you are here as a result of that. The posture we ought to take is you and I are sinners saved by grace. It's not preaching this way, saying, come to me. It's preaching this way, saying, look at Christ, follow as I fall prostrate before him in the grace of the Lord, I need Christ. I'm worse than you all. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. And that's the message of the church. Amen? Amen. 
Paul says, I am worse than you are. Perhaps another way to say is I'm broken. My life is a mess. Do you see his life? Read through the New Testament. Shipwrecked, diseased, hurting, chronic illness, relationship problems, persecuted, pushed out, beaten. And he says, in all that, I find Christ. And all that is worth everything I once held. Church, is that your testimony? Is that your posture before the Lord? So we're grateful if you're here this morning struggling in sin. Join me. Welcome to the club. I'm too. We are too. Just last night, I was racking my brain thinking, what illustration should I come up with? And my wife jokingly said, how about you talk about your sin that you commit all the time? (laughs) Yes, amen, absolutely, we need it. I need it. Come and see the empty tomb. Our God who is willing to deal with me, you, all of us, who is willing to send his son to die for that sin. As you know, uh, we take membership seriously at Christ Central Church. We often say date us, get to know us before you say I do with us because life in marriage is hard and life in membership at Christ Central will be hard. We warn you of that before you join. Sometimes I meet with the couples or people and they're like, we're so excited about church. And I say, you sure about that? (laughs) You really want to be in relationship with us? Walk with us. And we go through membership, I teach them this beauty and the mystery of belonging, joining the church. I can't quite put it in words. I often say, but when someone, or when someone else out there pray for Christ Central Church, if you're a member of the church, you belong in that prayer. Do you know that? You're covered by that prayer. Even though you're not here, that's the mystery of the gospel, isn't it? That you and I are, are gathered there. And I often say, I don't quite can describe it because as we study through the first century church, And also looking at the church today, including Christ Central Church, I'm going to add our church there, looking at me, uh, pastor of all, we're all broken, right? We don't have much hope. We're looking to people like that, you know? What hope do we have? One day, I promise you, our church will fail you, right? We will be a place of brokenness because broken people have a hard time being whole to care for broken people. So where is the hope in that? But as Paul says here, if we really see Jesus, Jesus clearly, if we really get this right, then we realize we're actually far worse than those who we are trying to help. Maybe this church thing is not really working out. After all, membership, membership is going down in the churches. Man, the scandals are rampant. Have you just read the news about the abuse, sexual abuse that happens in the church? Right? Churches do a better job of keeping people out than inviting them to the gospel, it seems these days. Right? And perhaps you read today's verses and thought, well, there we are, endless shadows that leads to nowhere. Welcome to the 21st century church, just like the first century church. But here is our hope. As broken people, in a broken gathering like this, we see despite the first century church's brokenness, Apostle Paul sends Timothy. To hopeless cause. Encouraging this young pastor, persevere 
keep the church. He urges him to keep on preaching, to live it out, appoint elders, to guide, to pray, to exhort. Why? Because despite all the mess and the brokenness of the church, Jesus is in it. Isn't that crazy? Jesus decided to do his mission through the church of Christ. Jesus decided to die for the church. His people, he's in it with us. We are saved by this grace of the Lord. And what we are to show is not our perfection in keeping this purity, but our failure in doing so. So our God can outshine us. So people can see the love of Christ that gives them hope, not us. As one member of our church recently asked me, why do you care as a church? And I share it because we receive that care. We're all broken, so we know what it means to receive care, not only from our Savior, but also from our fellow broken people in need of grace. Hence, we care, just passing it on. So let me echo Apostle Paul again here. This is a trustworthy saying here this church, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, you, 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 me, all, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me, use us, use broken Christ-central church as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst church, worst sinners, then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Let's pray. Church, pray that with me. Recite that in your mind. Apostle Paul, as if you will highlight certain sin, right? As if you will have endless debates about certain things, he simply says, hey, I am the worst of them all. You are worst of them all. Look at God. Look at grace. Give him the glory. Let's rely on him for the power to overcome. He alone is God. Let's pray, church. Father, you are our eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. You alone is king God. Lord, we confess that we have often strayed away, often made this church all about who should be allowed in it, who should not be allowed in it. Lord, we pray that we will take sin seriously, but we also will take grace of God all a lot more seriously. Teach us, Lord, use this broken people, broken gathering, as an example of if we can be saved by grace of the Lord, then people can. If we can receive care and love at the foot of the cross, then we can be missional, loving this city, our children, people out there, perhaps as we say, people within our church for the glory of our King. Thank you, Lord. Christ, let me pray. Amen.